I, um, I spoke last week about being aware. And it's a message that really is not a popular message. I've learned a couple things in ministry that when you, when you start to meddle with certain areas, people react differently. I found this out when I wrote a book about science. When I wrote a book about dealing with the science and the, the lies that it promotes through the Big Bang and evolution. And there were people that I've gotten along with since I've known them from day one. But all of a sudden I write this book and all, they just won't even talk to me. And another one of those things is entertainment. Because none of us want to be told about entertainment. No one likes when the Holy Spirit starts to mess with those things that are important to us because we all like to be entertained. We all like to be entertained. Whether it's on TV or at a kid's game or grandkid's game, it's entertainment, it's fun, it's nice. But there is a reality that we live in. And, and so this last week as I, I preached this message about being aware, which I encourage you, if you weren't here last week, go online and you can listen to it because I go in a little more detail about what is happening in our entertainment world. And you say, well, why are you talking about the entertainment world? Because it's tied to Genesis 3. It's tied to this story that we will get into. Because it's one of the easiest way to transform people's thoughts. And that's all the devil wants to do, is to change the way you think so that you will begin to doubt what God really said. And so as I preached the message last week, some things happened, and, and I'll tell you, I had a very discouraging week. You know, sometimes, sometimes I go home and I think, you know, man, I, I hope no one was really paying attention to what I said because it was a horrible sermon. I'm just being honest with you. Thank you, Doris. She just gave me a like button. Ding! There you go. Sometimes I, I preach things, though, and I'll go home, you know, just, just being critical on myself. Sometimes I go home, and I'm like, oh, I blew it. You know, I'll do my best next week. And I went home, and you know what? I felt, felt pretty good last week about how to present a topic that's not fun to talk about. But then I got discouraged throughout the week, and someone sent me a verse, and I just want to read this. This is just kind of for us this morning. Ezekiel chapter 2, it says this. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read this. Ezekiel chapter 2 it says in verse 2, is the Lord, well, it says verse 1, he said to me, son of man, stand up to your feet and I will speak to you. And as he spoke, the spirit came into me and raised me to my feet and I heard him speaking. He said, the Lord said, son of man, I'm sending you to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been in a revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn, says the Lord. You know, who he's, you know who God is sending Ezekiel to? Israel. Sending them to Israel, people that are stubborn and rebellious. And he says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious people, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid of their briars or thorns that are all around you. And you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of what they say or be terrified by them, though they are a rebellious people. You 
must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. You must speak my words. And someone sent that to me this week, and it was just timely. Because, you know, I'm not here trying to promote my opinions. I'm just trying to here to help you understand God's word. To help you understand what is going on in our culture because this really all goes back to the great rebellion that happened in Genesis. Genesis is not just a rebellion that happened in Genesis chapter 3, but there are multiple rebellions that happened that laid the foundation to the world in which we live. So I spoke last week about being aware, about the dangers of not being aware. If you're not aware of what's going on, then what happens is you can be deceived easily. There is a satanic agenda in the world in which we live, a plan to get us to think in a different way, a strategy to, to mistreat the Bible, to mistrust the Bible, to doubt the Bible, and lower God's word to simply just a book or a piece of literature to lead us away from our Heavenly Father, a goal to destroy and to corrupt every single area of your life. And, he, and the devil will do it in education, careers, entertainment, people, books, whatever he else he can use. This is not a new plan. It hasn't changed since COVID. It hasn't changed since day one. And when did that plan start? It was in Genesis chapter 3. From that moment in the garden, the plan has never stopped. That plan does not stop because we are living in a modern age or because we have educate or educated people or because we have scientific discoveries that have, have helped explain the mysteries of this world. But the fact is most people aren't aware of the active, how active the enemy is and how he is trying to destroy us and lead us away from the Heavenly Father. See, because I know this, that the devil knows he cannot take you from God's hand. But God's hand is not closed upon you. It's an open invitation. He knows that people can walk away. Now, some people preach things like, you know, once you're saved, you're always saved. You can go and do whatever you want, basically. You'll always be saved. Once you truly are saved. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus, remember, he gave the example of the seed that some fell on the, the road and the birds came and picked it. It's the devil who steals the seed right away. And then some who believed for a while fell upon the thorns and the weeds. And they believed for a while. We can believe and fall away. That's why we must be aware. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I want you to, if you, you know, and I encouraged you last week because as we get into the text, I encourage you to bring your Bible to follow along because I, I love taking notes in my Bible. I love making sure that I, I highlight, I, I write notes. And if you haven't written in your Bible, it's okay. God's not going to be mad because those things are there to help you. And, you know, if you look at, you know, any of our Bibles, you'll see notes of there of what God spoke. And so I encourage you to get into Word, to bring your Bible. And I also encouraged you last week that take what I say and, and see what it says in Scripture. Hold it up to Scripture, because I'm not afraid to tell you what I believe, because I, I believe that I'm doing my best to base it upon Scripture. But look at Scripture and see if I'm saying anything that is wrong. And I used the Bereans in Acts, chapter, or in Acts that talked about how they went and saw what Paul said was true. So test what I say against Scripture. But I encourage you, bring your Bible, bring a notepad. 
And it's verses like this that I want to highlight. 1 Peter 5.8 Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Devour in the Greek means this, to cause the complete and sudden destruction of someone. This is what the devil is looking for an opportunity to do, to do, to cause the complete and sudden destruction of someone, to run complete, to ruin completely, to cause the end of someone. Peter is telling us point blank that this is our enemy, not the world's enemy. Because if you want to have success, you want to go out and do things, you know, in life and you want to do the things of the world, you'll find success. But when you start to put your life towards God and start to put him first, you're going to find opposition after opposition after opposition. Why? Because we have an enemy that lives in this world. And he is going around looking to completely destroy you. This is our enemy. And it's looking for the opportunity to literally to swallow you alive, to completely ruin your life. The Bible says in 1 Peter here, it says, be alert and of sober mind. It means to stay awake, to stay awake, to be continuously ready, watchful. We must pay attention to the world around us. We must pay attention to the things that are going on, to be sober-minded, to be in control of your thought process. You know, sometimes we, because we want something or because we like something, we will justify it in our mind. We justify a lot of things in our mind. One time I was, I was working up at camp and I was doing the night watch and, and I was there on security and it was me and a group of pastors and we're in charge of making sure that the campgrounds stay safe through the night. And so we're there and just a group of pastors and it was early in the evening and, and, and we had a younger kid, a younger youth pastor that was talking about how he loved this one movie and it was about zombies. And then a pastor who was older said, hey, uh, you should listen to my message just a few weeks ago. I just preached on how zombies are evil and we should not allow those things to enter into our mind. The kid says, well, I, I just, I liked it. No, zombies are from the devil. Well, later on during the night, you know, when you stay up and you're not used to staying up all night, your mind gets a little more relaxed and, and you, you just kind of let your guard down a little bit. And this, this pastor that was condemning the zombie movies was talking to another guy. And I'm just sitting there in the cart just watching because, you know, I know that at night you can say something dumb, so keep your mouth shut, right? So I'm just there and I'm just watching and listening. And this same pastor said this to another guy. Yeah, I was watching this, this movie about World War Z. Man, that movie is awesome. World War Z, it was great. And then, you know, I just, I couldn't help it. I said, well, wait a second. I thought you said you didn't believe that zombies were good and you shouldn't watch anything about zombies. No, 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 no. It wasn't about zombies. It was about a virus that got out of control. Oh. So I said, well, do me a favor. What is World War Z? What does Z stand for? Well, you know, the end, the apocalypse. You see what happens when you want to play in your mind and justify things, you will start to twist things. And, you know, and I'm, I feel bad for the author, Max Brooks, who, who wrote the book World War Z. Um, matter of fact, this pastor should have read his first book. It was called uh, The Zombie Survival Guide. <laughs> so everyone knows that it's about zombies. 
But yet in his mind, he wasn't thinking clearly. And sometimes we do that when it comes to sin because, or when it comes to things that God doesn't want us to do because we really like it. We justify it. We justify it. But you have to be alert and sober-minded, clearly thinking. And that's why the whole point of last week's sermon was just be aware of what's going on. Just be aware. We must be clear in our thinking, especially when it comes to the world and the things of this world. We do not live in a world like the Garden of Eden, where everything is great and everything is good. We live in a fallen world. As Christians, we live in this fallen world where the ruler wants to lead us astray. The world that we live in is very dark and is under the control of evil. Romans 12, the great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil, Satan. Listen to how John says, who leads the whole world astray. This is who we face as our enemy. Ephesians 6, 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. We are living in a world that is fallen, that is evil, and that has dark forces all around us. This is why we must be aware. One of the ways that the devil tries to get us to think differently because it really is just about thinking differently. He got Eve to think differently about what God said and she fell. He gets a lot of people to think differently about God. One of the things that he uses is called numerology. Numerology, <clears throat> you may not know what numerology is, but it believes that all numbers are energy and everything has a number. You will never know who you are unless you know your number. And then you'll be able to discover yourself. This is what they believe, numerology. The problem with numerology is that it's a form of divination. Divination is a word that we don't really think about too much, but divination means this, according to the Hebrew in the Bible. It means magic and witchcraft. Magic and witchcraft. Divination is trying to gain information of the world through spiritual means, hidden knowledge, secret arts, and through magic and witchcraft. This is what divination is. Trying to gain information of the world through spiritual means, hidden knowledge, secret arts, through magic and witchcraft. Look at what Deuteronomy 18 says. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 18 says, Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their sons or daughters in the fire, who practice divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium or a spiritualist, or who consults the dead. God is pretty clear that he does not want anyone to engage with this because the, the God that they are pursuing is not the God of heaven. He's not the God that we worship. But people are always looking for insight. They're always looking for, for some type of insight to help them better understand who they are. To help them better understand what's going on. And this is why numerology is one of the things that the devil will use. Just the other day I was watching a TV show. And <clears throat> I was watching this show and the the. the, the TV show opens up with a scene where the wife is sitting at the kitchen table and she's reading a book. And she's reading a book on numerology. 
And so she's there, and her husband's there, and you know, he's wondering when breakfast is coming, but she's there caught up in this book. And so finally the husband realizes he's being ignored, says, what are you reading? And she says, I'm reading a book on numerology. And the husband replied like this, whatever happened to reading palms and tea leaves and horoscopes? You see, palm reading is a form of divination to gain insight in a person's behavior, personality, and general life path. Tea leaf reading is reading the tea leaves in the form of divination used by witches, used to get information about the past, the present, and the future of your life. Horoscopes. It's a method of divination. The purpose of a horoscope is to gain insight into a person's character and foretell the future. All of these things are rooted in magic, witchcraft, and are demonic. I'm sorry. They're not rooted in demonic. They are demonic. All of these things. You see, because we hear things like palm reading and we think of maybe some fun little booth that we went to and, and someone discovered you had an M, you're going to get married, and you, know, and, and, and you know, tea leaf reading. Most of us didn't ever even heard that or thought that it was actually tied to witches where they would make these special herbs and they would drink these special teas and then once the tea remained, they would be able to, to read into your life. And horoscopes, you know. Uh, horoscopes have not died since the newspapers have died. They are continually out there and they are on the rise. Why? Because people want guidance. People want direction. People want to know how to be fulfilled in this world. And the devil is out there telling them all these different things. Except the one thing that they'll always miss is that the only way they're going to find fulfillment and direction is through Jesus Christ. So this show in just the first few minutes, introduced things of palm reading, tea leaves, horoscopes, and numerology, just within the first few minutes. Later in the episode, there's another scene, another character is introduced, and all of a sudden there's a Ouija board present, where this guy is trying to use this spirit board, this talking board, to speak to the dead. And later in the show, the characters all get together and they are going to perform a seance through a medium so that they can speak to the dead. Like I said, I just saw this on TV just the other day. I only saw a rerun though because the original show aired November 26, 1951 on called I Love Lucy. The to the, it was the seventh episode in the first season. This is back in 1951. And you know, they, they talk about numerology, and this is the scene where she opens up. Numerology. I played this for my in-laws the other day because just trying to see if, because, you know, they were familiar, they're more familiar with I Love Lucy. I love I Love Lucy, you know, the chocolates on the conveyor and all that. It's funny stuff. But then they slipped this in just in the seventh episode. And you know what, my, my in-laws, they told me we never even heard of numerology back then. But yet, what is the devil trying to do? Trying to promote something of divination to people who are now getting engaged in this thing called TV. There was only 15 million TVs in America at the time this show was on. And 11 million people a week watched. 
And all you're doing is getting these seeds of numerology. What's numerology? What's, what's horoscope, honey? I don't know. Maybe we should check it out. A Ouija board. This is 1951. The scene where they're practicing the seance. But what we miss is that these things are of a demonic origin. But we just kind of let it brush by because it's funny. It's funny. But these are the things of the occult. Even today, the rise of numerology, divination, horoscopes, witchcraft still run rapid in our world today. If you have your Bible with me, I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. And I encourage you to write these verses down, to consider them deeply. But even today, these forms of divination are running rampant in our world today. Many people are being deceived with the tools of the occult, and they don't even know it. There are even Christians that believe that you can read the Bible with numerology to help discover the deeper meaning of the text. But let's see what the Bible actually says about this in Galatians chapter 5. It says this, The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual morality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I want you to know what he is saying here. Paul is saying, listen, people who follow this stuff, people who do this stuff will not inherit the kingdom of God. And what is it there? Idolatry and witchcraft. Witchcraft. Something that we don't think about so much in our society because we don't see witches going around all the time. But yet, the world has been normalizing this since the beginning of entertainment. What do you call someone who rides on a broom and is dressed in black and can do magic? Easy. You call them a witch. It's a very easy picture to think. But just imagine this. Here, let me define what witches are. Witches are people who practice magic. Now, in the world of the occult, they do not spell magic, M-A-G-I-C. They spell magic as M-A-G-I-K. M-A-G-I-C-K. They put a K at the end of the normal word magic because they want you to know that they're talking about the real stuff. Not the stage stuff, but the real stuff. Witches are the ones who practice magic, M-A-G-I-C-K. To practice the practice of magic is about raising and directing energy to fulfill your intentions. This all comes, all this stuff I've sourced from different places that actually practice witchcraft. So I'm not just going to a Christian website and saying, okay, tell me how bad witchcraft is. No, I want, I'm telling you what, what they believe witchcraft is, and they believe that it's the practice of raising and directing energy to fulfill your intentions. We look at this picture and we know exactly what it is. We know exactly what it is. We can all imagine what witches look like. But in the 60s, what if you replaced the broomstick with an umbrella? 
Now we have Mary Poppins. It's just a great show, Pastor. Spoonful of sugar helps the supercalifragilistic. But think about what Mary Poppins, who she is and what she does. Remember, witches believe that the practice of magic is about raising or directing energy to fulfill your intuitions. So when you're watching Mary Poppins, does anyone remember the very first scene of Mary Poppins in the show? The credits are rolling, and you're sitting there, you're waiting, and here's the very first scene you see of Mary Poppins. There she is sitting on the cloud. Now, we know normal people can't do this, but yet here she is with this magical ability to sit on the cloud. I want to tell you something, that only our God rides on the clouds. Psalm 68, 4, sing to God, sing in praise of his name, exalt him who rides on the clouds, who rides on the clouds. This is our God we're talking about. This is our God, not Mary Poppins, this cute little figure that we have that is able to ride on the clouds. No, it is our God. And yet, think about what they just done. They'd, all they did was replace the broom with the umbrella. Mary Poppins, she can slide up the stair railing. She can pull large objects out of this carpet bag that's so magical. That the snap of her finger, she can move things with her will and her intentions. Just like they said how they believe what magic is, directing energy to fulfill your intentions. She can do this. Mary Poppins. You know the little boy, when he was watching Mary Poppins do all this stuff, I believe he actually was the most in tuned at that time he says this we better keep an eye on this one she's tricky but the little girl right away says no she's wonderful you see how the normalization of something called witchcraft it's never defined disney doesn't come out and say hey guess what we're gonna make a witch and you're gonna love her and we're going to throw in some good characters like Dick Van Dyke, and he's gonna, man, you're going to have a good time. And all of our kids go home, sitting there saying, Mom, can I have some sugar with my medicine? Because it's good going down. But a little spoonful of sugar helps the magic go down. You see, we don't think that way because if we're not aware. Now, I'm not here trying to, to be a joy kill, but I must speak the truth. This agenda has been going on for a while. But with catchy songs and actors that we love and pretty scenery and special effects, they get to promote the whole ideal of magic right before the eyes of our children. But they didn't want to just leave the children out of it because in the 60s, all of a sudden, you start seeing shows like I Dream of Genie. It's just a comedy show. It's funny. But what is a genie? A genie is this, a magic spirit that comes out of a bottle to serve the master. A magic spirit. And then you had shows like Bewitched, where this real witch marries a normal guy and tries to live a normal life. The simply promoting witchcraft with laughter. And this hasn't stopped since the 60s. You go all throughout the history of television and you'll see things like Charmed and WandaVision and Sabrina the Teenage Witch and Good Witch. All these shows that are out there promoting. And it's not just on the TV screen. They'll do it on the movie screens as well. 
Things like Maleficent and Harry Potter and the Wizard of Oz, Snow White, the Seven Dwarves, Little Mermaid, Sleeping Beauty. Think about it. There's always a witch. Always doing magic. Kids and adults sit there and they get to promote witchcraft without even thinking about it. Remember what Ephesians says. Those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Even the latest release of Dr. Strange. Here's what it says on the description on the International Movie Database website, IMDb. It says, Dr. Strange teams up, teams up with a mysterious teenage girl from his dreams who can travel across multiverse to battle multi, multiple threats, including other universal universe versions of himself, which threatens to wipe out millions across the multiverse. They seek the help from Wanda, the Scarlet Witch. So the one person that's going to save us is the witch. And I picked this scene because you notice that he's holding a very familiar sign in the occult, the goat, symbolizing the Baphomet, the goat god. We simply call him the devil. Because signs and numbers and the symbols that they use are very important. Very important to the occult. Listen, I'm not here to condemn anyone because they like Dr. Strange. But you must be aware of what you're putting in your mind. You must be aware of the things that are going through our TV screens and our movie screens and how we normalize the occult. We have to be honest with ourselves because if we're not honest with ourselves, then we can fall for a lie. Who is Dr. Strange? He's a sorcerer. He uses magic and spells. In the comic world, he's described as the master of mysterious arts and sorcerer supreme. Typically considered the foremost expert on magic. In the latest movie, he is so powerful in his uh, magic skills that he can even use demons to fight for him, to fight with him. Now, I want to just take a side note about magic. Because, see, when you think of things like Mary Poppins and Sleepy Beauty, and you see the witchcraft there and the magic that's happening and all the, the wonderful things that Hollywood can produce, I want you to know this, that magic, M-A-G-I-C-K, magic is real. It's real. Not because a person has learned to control energy and make it do what it wants. But magic is real because the person who is performing it is relying upon a demonic force, a demonic entity to move on their behalf. And that's why relics are so important to them. That's why they need objects. That's why they need something to do it. I, I was watching a magician one time who was able to levitate this woman in the middle of nowhere. Physically impossible. I don't care what kind of sleight of hand guy you are, girl you are. You cannot levitate somebody with your mind. You can't do it. I got a lot of reasons. I was going to say my weight, but I won't say that. I got a lot of weight. There's no way someone can levitate me with their mind. But yet, they're able to do this stuff. And the crowd goes, whoa, wow. But what, are, what is the magician in? He's in a pentagram, the star, the upside-down star, which symbolizes the goat, 
which symbolizes the picture I just saw, the, uh, shown you the, the, the symbol of the hand. They always need something. Why? Because they're calling upon a spirit. They're calling upon something to help them. Magic is real. But they normalize it and they think it's cute in movies and they, they make it cute and they make it like, oh, it's just, it's in a Disney movie. It's a kid's movie. It's Mary Poppins. But there are dark forces behind all of the magic. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Another important scripture. Because I want you to understand that magic is real. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says this, verse 7. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. So this is Paul giving information to the church about the Antichrist. And he says, For the secret power of the lawlessness is already at work. So the spirit of the Antichrist, the one who wants to destroy and make everything come under the leadership of the devil, is already at work in this world. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until... He is taken out of the way, verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed. Whom, now this is very important, look at verse 8. And the lawless one will be revealed. What does it tell you? That right now the devil is hiding who he really is. He hides who he really is. He doesn't show you. He doesn't come out and tell you. If Mary Poppins came out as a full-blown witch with, with all different types of gothic evil stuff, Immediately, as a parent back in the 60s, you would take your kid's hand and say, let's go. But at that time, the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Verse 9, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. And I want you to notice this part here. This is very important. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. Look at exactly what Paul is saying, that, that he, the lawless one, will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. Paul is telling us, point blank, that the Antichrist is going to be able to fool us because he has the ability to do things that are magical. If you don't think that scripture is talking about that, then I want you to, to consider what happened in Exodus chapter 8. Exodus chapter 8, God goes and sends Aaron and Moses to stretch out their hands and call the frogs to come out. And look what it says in Exodus chapter, or just I'll read what it says in Exodus chapter 8. But the magicians did the same thing by their secret arts. The magicians, the people who practiced sorcery and witchcraft, were able to do the exact same thing that God did. That's why Paul says that he will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders to serve the lie. Magic is real. But we know that it's not because Hollywood can make something happen on the screen. We know it's because there is a demonic force behind it that is promoting the lie that it serves. 
It's promoting the lie that the devil is good. You see, because that's what happens to our society. The devil doesn't come up and tell people who he is. He's not revealed himself yet. But he goes up to people of the world and he tells them, listen, you really want to be free? Don't follow that God. Because if you go to the God, the Heavenly Father and Jesus, all that, if you go to him, he's going to put restrictions on you. He can't let, he's not going to let you have fun in this world. He's not going to let you enjoy this world. Look at this world, how great it is, how much fun you can have by just doing whatever you desire. Don't listen to him. I'm here to set you free. I'm here to make you, to, to enlighten you and to show you all the beauty and splendor you can have. And he will impress you. That's why magic is real. We don't have the supernatural ability to do things that magicians can do. But they rely upon the secret arts. And what does the Bible say in Deuteronomy 18? Let no one be found who practices divination or sorcery, engages in witchcraft. God is very clear. He's not into the witchcraft. But yet these things are promoted. Why do I say these things? Because we're, we're going to be heading into Genesis 3. And I want to give you the backdrop of what happened. There is an agenda that is happening. Jesus was talking to his disciples about the dangers of this agenda that would lead people away from God. Think about how many movies have led people away from God. How much entertainment has led people away from God. But Jesus is telling his disciples in Matthew 24, and if you, you do have your Bibles, turn there because I want to point something out. But I'm going to read this as you turn. Matthew 24 says this, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nations will rise up against nations, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all of these are the beginning of birth pains. Jesus says that the end is still to come. There are birth pains that are going to happen. I think all of us can agree that we can see the birth pains. There are wars and rumors of wars, nations against nations. But look at Matthew chapter 24, and I want you to look at verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives and the disciples came to him privately, tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming of the age, of the end of the age? And look what Jesus said. Watch out that no one deceives you. The first thing Jesus tells his disciples, watch out that no one deceives you. No one causes you to wander off the path. No one causes you to stray from the truth. No one causes deception in your life. Jesus warns them time and time again, watch out for no one deceive you. This morning, I want to bring this to a close real quickly. 1 Peter 5.8. A very important verse to consider in dealing with this subject. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undoing the same kind of suffering, is undergoing the same kind of suffering. I want to give you just five simple things on how we deal with our enemy because I've done a lot to show you over the last two weeks about the agenda that he has about trying to corrupt our, our nation, our world through entertainment and media. 
And like I said, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to tell you what you should or shouldn't do. I'm just here trying to help you understand that you got to be aware of what's going on. And if you, if you start to talk about the devil so much, all of a sudden you start to feel a little overwhelmed, like, oh man, what, what are we going to do? I was talking to someone one time, and they're like, man, you, 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 you tell me all these things that are evil around us, but how, how do we do with it? How do we do with it? How do we win? Well, the good thing is we already have won. And I want to show you in this verse, you can take away five things. First of all, be on guard. Be on guard. If you really want to deal with the enemy, you got to be on guard. The Bible says be alert and sober. Don't get lazy in your thoughts. Don't let your guard down because it's a funny song or a funny TV show or, or because you think it's cute or because it's just a kid's movie. Do not let your guard down. Always be alert and sober-minded. Always be ready to be proactive. It, it, you know, the ideal of being alert isn't just, you know, okay, just give me a notification on my phone when things are going bad. No, it is purposely being aware of what is going to happen. But it's just a movie. It's just music. It's just a game. Do not let your guard down. That's how the devil works, little by little, waiting until he can take the moment where he can deceive you. You must always be ready, be alert, be watchful. Do not let the devil outwit you like 2 Corinthians 2 says. So be on your guard. The second thing is this. Know your enemy. You have to know your enemy. He is looking for the opportunity to cause your complete destruction in your life, and he will use anything he can to destroy you, to overwhelm you. You must, be, you must know who he is. You must be aware of his tricks. You must be aware of the deception, the, the power, and all the things that he does to try to fool you, to serve the lie, to get you to fall. You must know your enemy. Don't forget that he's a fallen angel, though. Don't forget that he's limited in his power. Yes, he can do everything he can to deceive you. Yes, he can do everything he can to wipe you out. But when it comes down to it, our God is still in control. Even though 1 John tells us that we live in a world that is controlled by the evil one, we're children of God. So know your enemy, meaning know exactly who he is, what he is, what he can and can't do. You have to know your enemy. The third thing from this verse, resist your enemy. The Bible tells us to resist him. You know, resist him is simply about setting yourself up against who he is and what he is doing. Now, I'm not telling you what you can and can't watch. I'm not one of those preachers that are going to tell, give you a list of things you can and can't do. But I am going to tell you this. You need to resist the enemy. If there are things that you are watching or things you are listening to that are causing you to come farther away from God or there's a rebellious spirit in your heart because of certain things and activities you engage in, you might want to think twice about those. You have to be purposeful in resisting. You know, when, when, it comes to, when it comes to music, I grew up listening to r and I, I, I love R&B. The rhythm, the music, the sound. But it leads me to a place I no longer live. And so I just had to give it up. I had to give it up. In college, the Lord told me to give up all of my secular music. He told me, just give it up. And man, I just invested in all these CDs. He said, give it up. So I did. I gave it up. And I said, okay, God, you can have all my secular music. I'm not going to listen to nothing except Christian music. My roommate found out what I was doing. He says, man, that's great. I'm going to do the same thing. Praise God. He gave up everything. 
except Van Halen. He said, God did not tell me to give up Van Halen. Listen, you got to do what God is telling you to do. Now, listen, I'm going down the road. I hear a song. Sometimes I'm in the mall, you know, or the mall. Who goes to the mall anymore? I'm, I'm in the store, you know, and, and, and I hear a song, or you're at a game, you hear a song, and yeah, I understand that. Everyone likes a good beat, likes a good song. But you got to be aware of where it's going to lead you. I was doing a DJ for my, my niece, and I'm getting all the music together and prepped. And I said, I gotta, I'm done with this. I, I can't do this no more. I had to walk away. I had to just spend some time with the Lord. Why? Because I know it leads you somewhere. You have to resist. You've got to be purposeful in what you do. And the Bible says this in James 4. Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee to you. The best way to resist the devil is get close to God. The best way to get to resist the devil is get close to God. And the Bible says that he will flee from you. Why? Not because you're someone special, but because there's more of God inside of you. You notice how when Jesus went into the areas that he went into, the demons all reacted to him. Why? Because God's presence was coming. And that's what I love about the verse in, John, in James 4. Get close to him. Submit yourself to God. Resist him. And then he'll flee. Fourth. You need to be firm in your faith. You have to be firm in your faith. Do not let your beliefs down. Do not let your guard down in your faith. Do not let your priorities slip in your life. You must keep God at the very front of everything you do. In your times of devotion, in your times of prayer, in your times of seeking him. Spend time with him. Do not become weak in your faith. Stand strong. And when it gets tough and when it gets hard, do it more. Just keep pursuing. Keep pressing in. Be firm in your faith. Don't let discouragement or don't let um, mistakes or, or sin cause you to be weak. You repent. You ask for forgiveness and you move on. And you be strong in your faith. And finally, you're not alone. You see, the devil will always try to convince us that we're isolated. You know, I, I, I grew up watching the National Geographic and those those, you know, the lions, and they're there prowl, you know, on the prowl, and they're looking for their prey. They never go in the middle of the herd. They go on the outskirts. They look for the one that they can separate from the pack because they're more vulnerable that way. And this is what the devil wants to do. He wants to get you separated from the body of Christ, separated from your family, separated from the fellowship. When the spirit of rebellion or the spirit of the, 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 the evil one has a foothold in your life. And it happens through a lot of different ways. Matter of fact, Paul says unforgiveness is one of those ways. Paul says that, you know, hey, I forgive people. And if I don't, I'm, I, if I don't know, you know, I forgive them. And, and I forgive them with all I can because I do not want Satan to gain a foothold in my life. I don't want him to outwit us. Paul knew the dangers of unforgiveness. Paul knew the dangers of messing with sexual immorality. Paul knew the dangers of messing with things that are of this world. Paul knew that. And so he knows that it separates us because it causes us to leave. Leave the church, leave our fellowship, leave our family. And I'm not talking about physically leaving. Sometimes we can be in the same room and you're not there. Sometimes we'll be in the same place and you're just not there. Why? Because you don't want to engage. Because you remind them of Christ. You remind them of what you should do. But don't ever feel that you're alone. You're never alone. God is with you. The church is with you. We stand with you. You know, if you ever came to me and told me your deepest, darkest sins, I would never think twice about you. I still will consider you a child of God. 
If you're pursuing the Lord, you ask for forgiveness, then hey, who am I to judge you? Let's just get better. This morning, how do we, how do we defend ourselves from our enemy? You got to get close to him. So I'm just going to close with this. If you're here this morning and you're dealing with sin in your life, that is the one thing that is going to separate you from God. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do two things, and we're going to pray, and we're going to dismiss. But the first thing is that there is sin in your life. You are going to separate yourself from God, and you are in the perfect position for the devil to come and to bring full assault. It's a dangerous place to be because you're separated, and you don't want to talk to people. You don't want to engage with people. You don't want to engage with the Lord. So you have to deal with sin in your life. You have to deal with that. The second thing I'm going to ask if this morning, if you would uh, consider, is maybe there is something that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you about the world of entertainment. Like I said, I'm not here to condemn you. But the Holy Spirit knows that there is something about what you are doing that he is not happy with because he knows it's going to lead you to a place you don't want to go. And he's been dealing with this. Even as I was preaching, your heart's been burning. It's the Holy Spirit just saying, let it go. And it's hard. It's hard to sometimes let things go that we like. But if you're here this morning and there's sin in your life, take care of it. If you're here this morning and there are things that the Holy Spirit is telling you you need to let go, just let it go. There's always greater things that God has for us.